Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. All right, everybody. I am so excited and delighted to have some truly extraordinary people on our show today. Wow, changing the world. We all know that we are in a climate crisis right now, okay? Even guys in their man caves eating hot dogs and watching ESPN know we are in a climate crisis and food is one of the reasons our food system is messed up. It is completely messed up. So what are we going to do to fix it? Because the future of... um our planet depends on it. We've got this incredible team changing the world. Uh, Seth and Julie, Julie Farkas and um, her husband, uh, Seth, are um, truly, truly, I would say, revolutionary in their approach. Seth Goldman, let's start with you. You're giving away more than a million dollars to try to save our food system as we barrel toward a climate apocalypse. Congratulations. What inspired you to do it? How are you getting it done? Well, it's very clear, as you said, when you look at all the signals, we're in, we're in a crisis mode from a planetary perspective. And I think we certainly want to be able to say, what are you doing to try to address it? And I want our children and grandchildren to think that way, too. Like, we've got to take action. We can't be passers-by as, as the ship is going down. So we want to do everything we can. And and we're trying to do it through for-profit business. We've got a restaurant chain called Planet Burger that's trying to do that. And then we've got a brand called Eat the Change, which sells planet-friendly snacks. And then, of course, there's the Eat the Change Impact Grants, where we get to find amazing entrepreneurs doing direct work in their community to address it as well. Now, um, I want to bring in Naja Wright, who is one of our amazing contributors. And when I was looking at your incredible list of awardees, 36, and that doesn't include previous awardees like Tracy McWhorter, um, I saw Naja and I was like, oh, wow, one of our contributors who does a weekly show on Jane Unchained called Naja mm-hmm. Speaks is uh, a recipient. So I called her up and, and of course, she was so excited to uh, to talk about how the money you're giving her organization, she has several organizations, it's hard to keep up actually, but how it's changing Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, and the world. So take it away, Naja. Thank you, Jane, for inviting me. Yes, I have to shout out Tracy McWhorter um, because she is the one that put me on to Eat the Change last year. Uh, and I was like, wow, you know, we have to apply because Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week, which runs twice a year, can use this support and it's in alignment with what Seth and Julia are doing with uh, Eat the Change, the whole Eat the Change mission and the concept. So um, that's where most of the money is going is the Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week. And and as you know, we are rebranding to Black Veg Society. So we were the Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland and we're still transitioning to Black Veg Society. We're gonna need promotional materials, website redesign, things like that. But um, it's all about Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week, which is going on right now. So go to at MD Vegan Eats on Instagram and social media so you can see what's going on with that. 
So it's really great to have a concrete example because so often we talk about grant programs and it seems very hypothetical. So just paint a picture, Naja, of what uh, this looks like, what's happening right now in Maryland. We need more plant-based options on menus, period, end of story. <laughs> so I'm tired of uh, going into restaurants and all I have is, uh, are salads and, and French fries as options. Yeah. So they this, think we're rabbits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not a rat. I don't like, I'm, I'm not a fan of rabbit food. I'll eat it on occasion if I have to. <laughs> That's the only option. But I like tasty, healthy soulful food. I like my comfort foods. I like my junk food. I need a variety. I love cultural cuisines all the way from Ethiopian, Indian, Jamaican, all types. We need folks to have more plant-based options on the menu. And that's what we're doing with Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week. Uh, we have over 40 participants right now. Oh. And um, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's a, good, a, a good number. And there's just a lot of activity going on in our social media. So you really need to check it out. I mean, I don't think I'm going to get to everyone this month, but I'm going to get to a lot. <laughs> I am so excited for you, Julie. Um, you're next up. We have a caller on hold, Gwenna Hunter. Gwenna, tell us who you are. I, I know who you are, but tell our audience who you are and ask uh, Julie a question, if you would. Okay, excellent. This is Gwenna Hunter. Um, I am the founder of Vegans of LA and Vegans for Black Lives Matter. Um, I manage a bunch of different food outreach programs, and I wanted to find out with someone like me who has a fiscal sponsor and also works um, for a nonprofit organization managing these type of programs, what I could do to help my community and also get funding. Wow. Great question. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great. One of the, you already have a fiscal sponsor and so you should apply next year. We've just announced our grants for this year, but um, the, the kind of work you're doing sounds like the kind of work we want to learn about and support. And so apply next year. We'll put the grant, um, the RFP out probably next April and, um, and please apply because we really want to support organizations that are doing exactly what Naja is describing, you know, that are bringing more plant-based options to people that are creating healthy, bring greater access to healthy food in the communities and um, that are really democratizing and, and educating everyone um, about eating more plant-based. And I, I think what Naja is doing is so fa fantastic just because we know that most people are not going to become vegans. We can hope, but we know that they're probably not. And so the concept of having at restaurants that may be serving meat, more plant-based options, not just for those of us who are vegans or vegetarians, but for people who eat meat, who may want to have a meatless meal. It's, that's, that's really where, where it's at now um, for a lot of people. And we need to meet people where we are. And, and that's what she's, Naj is doing so beautifully with, um, with this week. And our grants are nationally oriented. So we're looking all around the country, trying to find the best programs to promote those. So uh, there's really, you know, even though Naja is in our hometown of, you know, or home state of Maryland, which is great. We, we also do fund grants uh, and change makers across the country. Absolutely. If, if I may, Jane, yeah. Seth and Julie, Gwenna is awesome. She is a <gasps> friend of mine and I will vouch for her. <laughs> <laughs> is a force of nature. She, during the Black Lives Matter um, movement, when it reached sort of national consciousness, um, she woke up and said, I think I'm going to start Vegans for Black Lives Matter. And it, within days, she had thousands and thousands of people on that Facebook page. And uh, she just 
really picks up on what whatever's happening in the culture right now. And so let me ask you. Well, and just to, to build on that, it's a powerful insight because, you know, our diets can be a, an issue of, of race and, pri- and privilege and, ju- and social justice. And we need that's one reason it's so important to spread this awareness across all parts of the population. And, and you know, there's this assumption that, you know, poor uh, or populations that lack access to economic ac- opportunity are going to eat, you know, not as healthy food. And there's no reason that has to be the case. And so we are trying to make sure every community has access to healthy food because it isn't an ec- it doesn't have to be an economic privilege. It's more about information and access. Well, I noticed in your list, there's a tremendous emphasis on diversity, which um, I think we all appreciate. Uh, there's new films coming out like uh, They're Trying to Kill Us, Badass Vegan, showing that essentially um, they're targeting communities of color uh, right. with food deserts, with fast food restaurants. And uh, so it's time to take the power back. And uh, that the best way, I think one of the most effective ways that we can take the power back is with food, because it's something every day that we spend our money on. It's it's the one thing that we can't say, well, even a car. I know people have given up cars. They just take a lift if they need to get somewhere or a bus or but or walk or bike. But when it comes to um, Taking the power back with a financial leverage, food is one of the most effective ways. And I just love the idea that we're um, we're availing ourselves thanks to your program. Let me tell you something. Jane, can I say something about sure, sure, what you absolutely. said about the food? Especially yes. during this time, if anyone's noticed during COVID, that's the one thing that everyone did was eat, eat and drink. Mm. And um, at a time when we need to be boosting our immunity, using food as medicine is really important. So whether you're a junk vegan, a raw vegan, alkaline vegan, whatever, there's something for everyone. And this is the time to be promoting this message more than more now than ever. Yeah, um, this is my big, like, conundrum that I can't figure out. Some of the smartest people are also the dumbest people when it comes to this issue. Every day I read articles, just now, I read an article about a venture capitalist raising all this money to fight uh, for the climate, and yet no mention of animal agriculture, no mention of the methane. No mention of the devastation. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize that 80 billion land animals produce a lot of poop. Poop creates methane. Methane is a lot more toxic than CO2. After 10 years, it degrades into the less toxic CO2, which is also bad. Let's deal with that. Why is it that these, well, the best and the brightest is a sarcastic title. Uh, That's one thing that I remember when I opened the book. I was like, oh, (laughs) but why is it they can't figure this out? They can't do the math on this pretty straightforward concept. And I'll toss it to uh, Julie's nodding her head. So, Julie, take it away. Well, yeah, I, I totally hear you, Jane. It's it's something that, you know, there was just the the piece in the Washington Post the other day that um that last month was the hottest July on record, right? In history. In, in history. And yet I don't think that there's any mention of of the connection to food and people talking about the deforestation of the Amazon. And they don't it's like, well, it's for cattle grazing, right? And and so I, I don't have a ton of insight into why you know, when, when you look at Project Drawdown, Seth may want to speak to this more, you know, they say 20% of all greenhouse gases are connected to our food system. And so I, 
it's really interesting that it's so it, it is in the press sometimes, but it is so rarely in the press. And it's a huge frustration because I think it would be so empowering. People throw up their hands and like, oh, this is terrible. What's happening? And they don't understand how they can make it. Each person can make a difference with what they choose three times a day to eat. And so it, Seth. But the other issue is that our food, you know, meat, uh, the whole livestock domesticated livestock system has been normalized as part of our daily activity. And, and, you know, I often reflect on my father, who I thought was one of the most ethical people around. Um, he's, he's passed since, but uh, he never, it never crossed his mind because it was just part of the culture. And so I think these folks um, also, you know, it's, they, they, they want to look at change and they want to think about activity that's easy to do or, or just doesn't, you know, doesn't have to sort of reflect on their own behavior right. changing as well. And so right. part of what we need to do and what Naj is doing so beautifully and elegantly is just provoking people to think a little differently. And then all of a sudden you can open up a much wider range of thinking. But for a lot of times, people just don't want to question their own behavior. Right. Well, by the way, we're getting so many comments on Facebook. Celia Acevedo says, thank you, Seth and Julie, for your generosity and action to save the planet. Uh, Gwenna saying thank you so much. Uh, Tina Walker, we need more vegan options everywhere. Yes. Um, so, uh, if you see me looking down, it's because I'm sharing it out. Because <laughs> Here's the thing. There's too many people on this planet to talk to them all individually. We have to use social media. <laughs> that's, that's, my, yeah. that's my thing. It's like um, uh, we have to spread the word uh, using social media. And so um, when we talk about uh, this transition to a plant-based culture, we're seeing a lot of breakthroughs. The Met Gala, which is the pinnacle yeah. of high society, as we yeah. all know, the place where everybody goes to see and be seen, the celebrities, the um, entrepreneurs, the movers and shakers, the fashionistas, it's gone plant-based this year. And I, I suspect that one of the reasons is that Billie Eilish is a co-chair mm. and Billie yeah. Eilish is a vegan in a vegan family. We worked with Maggie Baird on a yeah. vegan cooking series, New Day, New Chef, Support and Feed. She has a great concept where she goes, raises money, gives, gives it to vegan restaurants to keep them in business. They make the vegan food and distribute it to houseless people and people in need and first responders. So that's fantastic. 11 Madison Park, considered the best restaurant in the world, mm. has just gone 100% plant-based with the weird exception of dairy coffee for if somebody wants that for coffee, whatever. <laughs> but the point is, it's plant-based. We Donnie Moss of TheirTurn.net went in there and said it's better than a Broadway show. It's extraordinary. Nobody can argue today that the, the vegan food is boring. And right. yet yesterday in a brand new restaurant at a hotel right here, I was showing a friend around. We went in. And I, this is the third time I've asked, do you have any vegan options? And they don't. And they said, it's not the, you're not the first person to ask. And they're not providing vegan options. And so I took some photos. I'm starting a change.org petition. But the point is, how is it that a major hotel chain, okay, um, in, in light of everything that's happening in the world and the Beyond Meat stock and Oatly, how can they keep their head in the sand? What do we do to wake these people up that that's not cool? It's beyond not cool. It's irresponsible. Jane, I agree with you with the hotels. Um, and I'm, I'm very surprised because uh, it disappoints me when I'm in a hotel, especially a hotel that charges um, a certain price per night and they don't have any, any 
vegan options besides mm-hmm. a salad. I was happy to see Silk Milk at uh, Elegant uh, Ewing in um, uh, Princeton when I was out there. I'm like, wow, you didn't, you, this, this is great. Let's get more. So I don't know what it is about the hotels, but they need to do better. Yeah. Well, I can, Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I've seen, because I've been in the you know, food business for over 20 years, and consumer voices really do matter. I've seen it just so often. You know, we sold an organic, pro, when I uh, launched Honest Tea, we sold our organic drink into McDonald's, and that was all driven by consumer, you know, interest. So every time you run into that kind of situation, you need to uh, make your voice heard. And that's one thing that's so amazing about the vegan community is how powerful and how loud and active these voices are, and they do drive change. So, you know, okay, it's frustrating when you run into that kind of situation, but if you look at what's happened in just the past five years, I mean, keep in mind the Beyond Burger was just introduced five years ago. And think about how how dramatically the whole landscape, the whole grocery uh, landscape, the grocery shelves have changed since then. Um, so change does happen, and, and uh, our voices count. every As you said, Jane, every time we eat our voice, we're making a choice, and so every time we can express an opinion it it does get heard cumulatively maybe not in that maybe not at your particular restaurant but over time it does get heard oh no i i totally 100 percent agree with you and in fact we just went live at panda express which has a vegan a chicken that was delicious it, we I'm tried going just, there this weekend it was sold out oh my gosh wow. yeah it's delicious and we've gone live with the burger king and um, I think McDonald's is uh, bringing up the rear. I don't know what's going on there, uh, but uh, uh, obviously the society is changing. Uh, we are in a race against time and uh, climate change is accelerating far more rapidly than even the scientists had predicted. They're all like, oh, and we're all like, oh. I mean, it's becoming uh, impossible to live in parts of uh, the West. Uh, the Western United States, uh, people are literally fainting on the streets because it's so hot. And so we are in a race against time. We don't have the luxury of letting people take their sweet time uh, to have this epiphany. Um, and uh, we are now getting to the point where we're going to have the gift of desperation. So we're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio. We're going to stay live on Facebook. Share it out, people. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.
Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. Welcome back. We are talking to Seth Goldman and Julie Farkas, as well as one of the recipients, Naja Wright-Brown, about this extraordinary program, Eat the Change Impact, which is giving away more than a million dollars, already given a lot of it away. Naja was one of the recipients, is one of the recipients, and of uh, Tracy McWhorter, who had surpassed her goal of turning 10,000 black women vegan. She surpassed her goal. She also got a grant. And the list is really too long to just read, but 36 recipients right now that are just being announced. But we're talking about some of them. And I want to just backtrack and ask you about your successful business ventures, because that's another piece of the puzzle. I mean, some of the biggest breakthroughs that we've had uh, have been uh, in the private sector with Beyond Meat, as you mentioned, uh, Seth, and um, Oatly going public. And so I personally found that a lot of people who literally used to laugh in my face, not I'm not even like, ha, like that. All of a sudden, when Beyond Meat went public and it was so successful, they would kind of come back to me. Hey, that Beyond Meat, you know, uh, I tried it. And I'm like, does it taste better because the company went public? But all of a sudden... Their, their their ridicule and contempt seem to diminish somewhat and their curiosity and acceptance seem to increase. So I'm all for the private sector doing this. I mean, frankly, it's the government that's keeping the meat and dairy industry in business with their subsidies. So well, tell yeah. us about your, your, your end of that experience. No, you're absolutely right. The private sector here is critical. And so uh, in 1998, you know, we started Honesty out of our house and uh, it was obviously very small uh, beginnings, but the idea was to just sell initially just a less sweet drink. And then as we learned more, we quickly realized that it was important to make it organic because we were you know, growing these crops around the world. And, and if we could avoid using chemical pesticides and herbicides, that would help the ecosystem. And then we realized we could invest back into the labor in these communities. So we made everything fair trade certified and that helped us create more economic opportunity you know, overseas. And and, uh, and then, of course, we expanded Honest Tea to Honest Kids, which got, as I mentioned, carried in McDonald's and Subway and Chick-fil-A and Wendy's, all these amazing places where we use what Julie used that term, democratized, you know, access to healthy food. 
And then as we started to learn more about our food system, we realized and we started to think about our own diets and our, our children were really active there too, asking some questions that were important for us to think about. And that provoked us to become vegetarian and then eventually vegan. And so we were happy with that decision, but we were often frustrated with the choices because, you know, uh, 10 years ago, if we all wanted to have a, a barbecue night, they just, we were looking at, you know, veggie burgers that turn into little um, bar, bar stool, you know, bar coasters, you know, and just didn't have good <laughs> options. And so Julie actually read about this article about um, Beyond Meat getting started and how they were trying to replicate the taste and texture of meat using only plants. And she said, in fact, she, she read that article on her birthday and she said, boy, if that company succeeds, that would be the best birthday present ever. And so I reached out and got involved as both an um, advisor and then board member and then executive chair of the board and really helped to scale that business and bring it actually internationally. And, and then, as you mentioned, taking it public. And, and I'm still chair of the board. And it's been so fun to see the change that has resulted from you know, the success of that business, not just in the grocery store, but in restaurants and in people's minds and even in the investment community as well, as you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. And so give us um, your, I know you don't have a crystal ball, who does, but give us your predictions about this because we are seeing what, what, what the experts say is that when change finally does happen, when you hit that, look at the electric vehicle, they could have had them in the 1990s. We, yeah. we have that documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? They dragged their heels. They paid a big price. And now finally, it's hit the tipping point. Everybody wants an electric right. vehicle and right. it's happening. It's happening. When is it going to be happening? Oh, with, it's happening. Uh, vegan meat. It, it, yeah. Are we in the tipping point? Are we before totally. the tipping point? It, no, what? we're, Yeah. So look at what's happened with dairy. Um, you know, just 20 years ago, basically all dairy was cow-based milk. That was what you saw. Um, today, about 16% of the dairy section is plant-based. That's a dramatic change. That's not, and if you look at what's going on in meat, less today just about 1% of the meat category is plant-based. But there's no reason that within the next five years, it won't get to 16% of the meat category being plant-based. And so what does it take to have, have make that happen? It takes the retailers, you know, prioritizing it. Well, that's happened. It takes large restaurant chains, like some of the ones you mentioned, embracing those options. And that's starting to happen now too. And then of course it takes consumers adopting that behavior and that's happening as well. So this, we're in it. And, and, and um, you know, while, while I can, as I said, be frustrating from week to week, when you look at it in the scope of years, it's dramatic. We are living through what, what will be a real change, even in, in the way humans think about meat, because for Thousands of years, we've talked about meat as protein. We thought of meat as protein from an animal, and today now we talk about meat, and it could be, it could be protein from an animal, but it can be protein from a plant as well. And certainly, as we see the plant-based options start to be either um, you know more nutritious, better for the environment, and then eventually, with not too long, you know, cheaper in price, then you'll start to see people say, "Well, wait a minute, why do we need this whole?" animal-based meat? What's the point of it? What, what are the advantages? And, and there really aren't going to be any uh, by the time, you know, within a matter of years. Nice. Well, um, if you see me drinking out of a cup, I've had this cup for two years. Okay. <laughs> I've taken it. I don't know how many trips and it says more vegan options, please. Starbucks. And uh, also, um, of course, I made my own coffee and put my uh, oat milk in there. But there is a surcharge and there's a campaign right now to get Starbucks uh, to eliminate the surcharge. So um, is that part of the mentality when that surcharge goes away? And I do believe ultimately they'll have to 
That's a pretty mm-hmm. runchy cup. Sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, uh, but I've had it for two years in my own defense <laughs> instead of just having one and throwing it out every day. Um, but I mean, when something like that happens, that would be a game changer, right? Yeah. Shift to when when Starbucks decides, okay, yeah, we we can't keep doing a surcharge for, for sure. Uh, and that that comes from two things. It does come from consumers demanding it. But it also comes from the scale. And and certainly, you know, we see it at Beyond Meat where the price has, you know, come, the price on the shelf has certainly come down. Um, and so as the, as we get to price parity, absolutely those surcharges go away. And, and not surprisingly, the demand goes up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, more, more sh- restaurants, Jane, than we did talk right. about more restaurants like Land and Kush. You know, when we were out here, we were probably mm. like, you know, one in a few. Now you see them all over the place. People are just pop. So don't forget the small restaurants being impactful because people like to support small restaurants opposed to chain, rest- chain restaurants. So we continue to need, we need to continue to see that more of these vegan restaurants opening up. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks and, for coming down, Julie and Seth. I was happy to oh, eat with you. Delicious. <laughs> food, we're still talking about your chicken salad. It's so good. <laughs> chicken salad. Least once a week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. The food. Well, again, 11 Madison Park, considered the best restaurant in the world, is now plant-based. There's no excuse. The the old argument that, oh, what do I, it's dull and people, no, it's, it can be, it is the most exciting food. In fact, it's less restrictive. I mean, there are six approximately animals killed uh, for food consumption on a general basis. And there's tens of thousands of fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes. So there's actually a lot more versatility and variety mm-hmm. in vegan cooking. Um, so uh, let me ask you this, though, because uh, the um, projections, however, are that uh, that uh, globally meat is going to increase. How is how are the 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 think tank people and i consider obviously the two of you in that uh category approaching that when you read these articles and we hear all this good news and then you pick up an article and says meat consumption is expected to increase globally by xyz percent over and and it kind of throws you back on your heels um and a lot of these big companies i don't need to name them but the biggest meat uh, companies in the world are sort of hedging their bets and investing a little bit in the plant-based sector, but they continue to expand with their factories and consolidation. Yeah. Well, look, rising expectations or rising you know, economic growth creates more uh, disposable income. And people uh, think that when you have that, you should be spending it on meat. I think the key is if we can redefine what meat is. Look, beyond meat, we will absolutely argue what we sell is meat. It's just a different comp. It's it's not about the comp the origin of it. It's the composition. You know, our our product at Beyond Meat is amino acids that make the proteins and lipids that form the fats. Seventy percent water and then trace minerals and carbohydrates. It's all the same ingredients that you'll find in a piece of meat from a cow. Um, so I think that this. I don't. I agree with you that there will be more meat consumed. I uh, disagree with the forecast that think it's all going to be animal based. It's just a matter of pivoting what kind of meat and that that's a so what needs to happen then is the big companies like beyond meat and others need to scale our production um, to be able to meet that demand and beyond meat now has a facility up and running in china we have one in europe and of course several in the united states and canada so um, that's just a matter of, of, of growing to meet the demand and it shows you how fast it can grow it was about 
uh, I guess about five years ago, four years ago, that uh, Beyond Meat in El Segundo, which is not far from where I live, Ethan Brown gave me and one of our contributors, Danny Rukin, a personal tour of the entire facility, which was quite small. And we were going live with our camera. He's the nicest guy. I mean, very busy person. And yet he took the time to do a whole tour for us. And it was really amazing. And then to see the explosive growth and going public and, you know, I mean, I get on Yahoo News, I, it seems like every couple of days there's another article about Beyond Meat and yeah. uh, the expansion into another fast food or uh, some kind of chain where um, it's going to be available to a lot more people. So, yes, I agree with you. And and sometimes I think, and we'll get back to your philanthropy in one second, but just to finish this one sentence, sometimes when I feel like horrified over the consolidation and because small farmers are being devastated by all of this as well. And then I think, well, it, it kind of boils down to like five people who could, if we could convince those five people who run those ginormous meat companies, hey, just make the switch, um, maybe that would be the answer because this consolidation is so yeah. enormous now where it's it's just like literally uh, just a handful of people who, who have that power to save the planet. I disagree with that. I think it's billions okay. of people have the power. I think it's all us consumers. Every time we eat, we have the choice. And I'd, if I had to bet on, on, or if I had to pin my hopes on, you know, I, I wouldn't want to put my hopes on one or, you know, a handful of people. I'd, I'd want to bet on the much larger mass of people who, when they can learn more information and can be in touch with people, amazing change makers like Naja and, and, and learn some facts and understand what's happening on the ground, those are the people I want to bet on for the future. So it takes more People for sure, but that's where the, our best hopes are for the future. We, we, if we're, if our best hopes are waiting for big food to, to do the right thing, I, I, I that's not a future I'm going <laughs> to right. want to be part of. Well, I see what you mean, and it's up to us to pressure. And then when they get enough pressure, then they'll make the switch. So, or 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 they become irrelevant. They just get bypassed because everyone else has moved on to something right. that's you know part of growth. And I think right. an important point that Seth said is. When, when products like Beyond Meat can become less expensive than meat, people will make that choice. Right. And because it's just easier to get protein from plants than it is from an animal that you have to feed for at least a year. And so people will make that choice also because it is a pocketbook choice for every single person. And um, so that will do a lot to, to, to bring it to the masses. And so I, I think that, yeah, I agree with Seth. It's, it's going to be the voices of, of millions. And and to keep getting out the, the word is, is important, though, and, and, and that's what we're trying to do and trying to support through um, the Eat the Change Impact Grants is to support community-based um, and national organizations working to, um, to, to, to inform and provide access to uh, healthier plant-based foods. So tell us really what the uh, boundaries are of who should apply for a grant and um, what what the criteria is for deciding who gets gets the grants, Julie? Yeah, so you know, any any nonprofit or an organization doing work that has a fiscal sponsor um, can apply for the grants when we send out the RFP next spring. And we really are looking at organizations. I mean, we love funding organizations like um, like Naja's, the Black Veg Society of Maryland, and the work of Tracy McCorder is amazing. And so some of the work is very specifically with people who are doing very focused work on plant-based food and, and who kind of live and breathe it, you know, every single day. But we also fund groups that 
may not be what I'd call vegan organizations, right? They're organizations that are working on issues of food justice. That's really important, bringing more plant-based foods to communities. And it doesn't mean that everyone who comes is going to, you know, to a farmer's market is only going to be a vegetarian, but just who the people who are organizations that are doing work to create greater access and more education around the importance of plant-based food. Talk about Afrothrive as an example. Oh yeah, an example of that, and I am bringing up a lot of kind of DC area organizations just because we were able to um, do site visits with some of them. And that's always most exciting when you get to go meet people who are doing amazing work. And there's an incredible group in Maryland called Afrothrive. They're in Montgomery County. They're also in Baltimore. And um, they are doing work to grow crops that are African crops that you can't find in grocery stores here. And to provide those to um, immigrant communities and others. It's not solely immigrant communities, but they're both, they're, they're providing the food, but they're also building community. They're doing education. They're doing everything and so it's but it's incredible to meet with people who have an idea a lot of the nonprofits we support are really small because but but those are the people who are usually most in touch with what the needs are at the community-based level and so they are bringing a whole lot more plant-based um options to the community and and bringing the the foods that people who are immigrants to this country are used to to eating and trying to short circuit some of what happens when immigrants come to this country and everything is in a can Mm -hmm. or in a package, right? And so to make sure that they're able to keep getting some of the fresh foods that they're used to eating um, from home. And so it's really exciting to support that work. And um, another really interesting group we're supporting is um, the Charles Corner Farm. It's out of Silver Spring, but they've gotten land given to them in trust, not just in Silver Spring, but in other places in Montgomery County, Maryland. And they're not looking to create farms there. They're looking to then partner with Afrothrive to say, hey, we have some land out in Wheaton. Would you like to work in that, you know, are you doing the work in that community already? We can essentially share this land with you because you're the people who are connected to that community potentially. And so it's really exciting when you can get Different groups, that's the other thing that we're going to try to do again this year is get the different groups that we work with talking to each other because they have so much in common and they can really be collaborating, you know, on, on any number of issues. And so we want to be able to to do more of that moving forward. And that's what many of the groups have asked for. It's I wanted to say something about that, what, what Julie is saying about the collaborations, because that's another benefit. It's not just about the money. The money helps and get, get the project going. But meeting these people like Afrothrive, Afri I found out through the grantee list. I said, okay. wow, I have to reach out. I have to connect. I have to talk to these people, maybe even interview them. So you get connected to a whole other world of people that you didn't even know. And I'm a collaborator. I like to collaborate on everything. So as a grantee, it just opens up another world of connections and collaborations and potential future projects. So you don't know where that's going to go next. So I love it. That's and right. what is it, to explain to folks who say you'll accept the uh, applications for people who have a fiscal sponsor. Where is it? Yeah, so, you know, there there's some people that are doing work. I mean, some people have created a nonprofit with a board and they've done their let, the articles of incorporation, they've got a nonprofit. There are other people um, who are doing, who are leading campaigns, and Tracy McCorder is actually an example of that, um, who last year she was leading a campaign, you know, the 10,000 African black women um, to, to, to bring in more women, black women to veganism. Um, and so she had a fiscal sponsor. She was doing the work, but she was working through a nonprofit. So a fiscal sponsor is a nonprofit that's, that you can approach. So if you haven't gone through the trouble of 
building a board. Sometimes it's not valuable to create your own nonprofit. Sometimes it is. I worked for years before creating this impact grants. I worked for 12 years at a health foundation and there are so many nonprofits and some of them absolutely should be there. But sometimes it's also the smartest thing you can do is if you're doing work that's really important and that you're passionate about is go to talk to another nonprofit and say, hey, I'm doing this work. Would you be my fiscal sponsor in this work? And then you know, you can collaborate with them. And if at some point you grow beyond and need, want to create your own nonprofit organization, that's great. But working through fiscal sponsors is a great way to support people who are doing amazing work at the community level to get them their start without having to go through all the work of creating a board. The main point, though, is that the organization, the recipient has to be nonprofit. We couldn't, for example, donate to a for-profit business. That, that's right. outside of the grant program. Yeah, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Right. So they can be either a nonprofit or somebody working at with a with a nonprofit that That's right. is their fiscal sponsor. Correct. Yes. Um, excellent. Uh, my gosh, this is is such a, an exciting development because you're funding people who are on the ground making a difference on a daily basis, day in and day out. And I love your focus on diversity. Um, it's, it's so important for all of us to realize that this diet of um, a dairy shake and a burger from cows is not tradition and it's not heritage. It's um, something that has sort of been imposed on us by advertisers. And so you see people defending their right to eat this as if this is their tradition, but it's not anybody's tradition. If you look at anybody um, and go and trace their roots, chances are wherever they originally, their family came from was a primarily plant-based diet because plant-based was a global phenomenon and meat was uh, either a treat or something that was eaten by you know, kings. Right. Uh, can you can you address that? Uh, um, well, Naja, I'll throw. Yeah, I was going to say you. something right after you were done. Tracy okay. McCurder does a great job in the African American Vegan Starter Guide, the only one that was produced, which is for us by us. So um, she outlines the the, the historical um, uh, path of how. This wasn't always our culture. You have the Seventh-day Adventists who were vegetarian. So you learn a lot through that guide. So we've probably distributed 10, 15,000 of those guides, and we're continuing to do that. It's a really, really important piece of information that um, is a wealth of knowledge. Interviews by other Black vegans. And, um, yeah, I hope it's it's there forever. You can download it from online at the African-American Vegan Starter Guide. It is like the best guide for us. Yeah. I mean, I look at my own heritage. I'm Puerto Rican on my mother's side. I'm Irish on my father's side. If you look at, and there's a lot of uh, vegan restaurants now in Puerto Rico and they have two veg fests. So mm. think about Puerto Rico too, when you are, are uh, looking for the next. Uh, I'm half Puerto Rican too. So I know. There you go. All right. <laughs> um, but yuca, uh, platanos, mm-hmm. black beans, rice, vegetables, fruits. That's not. Yeah, I went to V-Spot this weekend in Brooklyn. V-Spot is a perfect example. The Spanish, uh, the Latin vegan restaurant in Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. So I think getting people in touch with their 
true heritage as opposed to something imposed by advertisers on us. And if you could look at the Irish side, cabbage, potatoes, turnips, you know, all of those foods as well, very plant-based. And there's a big um, vegan movement in Ireland, I'm told by some mm-hmm. friends of mine who are Irish, who are from Ireland, you know, live in Ireland. Um, so yeah, this is a global phenomenon. Uh, everywhere I've traveled, and I haven't traveled anywhere in the last couple of years, but anywhere I've traveled, I'm blown away by the, the global nature of our movement. Uh, Seth, is this um, Eat the Change Impact Award System U.S.-based or is it global? It is U.S.-based for now. I mean, um, we, we uh, figured like we wanted to make sure we could really target the impact. And so uh, we looked, there's some amazing international organizations, but we just couldn't you know, spread it out that much. And especially during the pandemic, we weren't going to be able to visit the sites or really have good interactions with those folks. So for now, we kept it uh, U.S. focused. So um, in terms of working um, on the food system, Julie, you mentioned um, the growing aspect and urban farming. And that kind of dovetails with something that I've been involved in, which is the Rancher Advocacy Program. We've had a couple of summits here on Jane Unchained, working with the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, a former cattle ranch, calf-cow operation in Texas that turned into a vegan animal sanctuary. And um, she meets people all the time, ranchers and farmers, who secretly want out of animal agriculture. They, too, uh, are suffering under tremendous debt, um, pressures that they, they uh, often they're very uh, upset with what's required of them in the contracts in terms of how they have to treat their animals and uh, pack them in and grow them fast. They're pitted against each other, et cetera, et cetera. They want out, but they're afraid. They don't want to get blackballed. So um, it's been very challenging trying to transition farmers. There's a bunch of people trying to do that. Mercy for Animals is trying to do it. You know, there's a lot of work happening, but it's a very challenging problem. And as we've explored it, we've learned, well, wait, there's middlemen, there's ingredient suppliers. A lot of vegan companies get their uh, ingredients from foreign countries. And do you have any thoughts on how we could marry um, vegan companies with ranchers and farmers who want out? And it also intersects with the idea of urban farming and veganic farming. So it's a big mix of all sorts of um, ideas and people, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of coordination at this point uh, regarding that. Yeah, well, I think the group you mentioned, which I haven't heard about, uh, the, who took the, 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 the ranching place and turned it into a, an animal sanctuary. It's, I love hearing about that. And it's, you know, I, you know, it's people like that who've done that kind of work, who are the best people to go to to say, how do we do this next? And so my thought would be, you know, if, if they would come to us and say, we, this is how we did the shift. Here are 10, you know, 10 ranchers who've come to us who want to make this same shift. And this is how we're going to help them. Again, I, I always refer to people who've done the work on the ground. And um, because that is the kind of thing that's really important to, um, to, to support. And to, but that's something I'm not expert in at all, but I'd love to learn more about it. And I'd love to support more of that kind of work shifting in that direction. And so... Um, you know, the fewer people who are doing cattle ranching, <laughs> the better. Well, one opportunity is to look at um, people who are providing the, the feedstock, you know, the, the grains for cattle. 
um, you know, companies like Beyond Meat are, are looking to, to buy more pea protein, for example. So we need more peas grown. And, and of course, peas can be a crop grown in between. If you were growing corn or soy or, or, or wheat, you could uh, grow peas very easily or um, other plant-based protein sources. And so, you know, what I've always said is you want to, if you're a farmer, you want to be higher up on the food chain. I mean, rather than grow a crop that's fed to an animal that is then fed to a person, if you can grow a crop that gets fed to a person, that's a much more valuable crop. And so if, if those farmers can earn, you know, a better uh, margin by growing a more value-added crop, that's a good opportunity for them. And speaking of crops, I have read so many articles uh, printed on recycled paper. Uh, U.S. heat is so bad, farmers see a half crop for spring wheat. Mm. Mm. And um, this one, very sad and upsetting, the liquidation of cows, how the drought creates chaos on California ranches and dairy farms. So um, uh, the woman who was saying she ha- that they're, they're having to liquidate their cows, just the, just the phrase is a punch to the stomach. Um, we're getting to a point now where some experts say we're going to see massive crop failure due to climate change and the accelerating temperatures. And so when you have 7.9 billion humans and you're feeding 80 billion farm animals food, could that create a squeeze where uh, suddenly uh government, industry, et cetera, starts realizing, wait a second, we have to choose between feeding these animals and feeding humans. Of course, yeah, no, that's happening for sure. And, and you know, that's why when we do uh, an analysis at Beyond Meat or work with the University of Michigan to do that analysis and it shows it uses 99% less water and 93% less land, that's just a, right, you know, that alleviates the squeeze in a big way. And so the more we can rely on plant-based inputs, uh, and then we've even done some additional research, you know, this other, we have, Eat the Change is also a branded company. And so we have a product with mushrooms, which uses, mushrooms use dramatically less water than any animal-based protein, or, or we're working on a product now with carrots, and those use dramatically less, they're much more water efficient. And we're, consumers are going to start taking an interest. What is the, the water footprint? What is the land footprint of what I'm consuming? And the more we can help raise that awareness, you know, the more we can make a shift in what consumers choose. And one of the big problems, we only have a couple of minutes, and please let me know if there's something that I, I'm not touching on that you want to discuss, but it's great to pick your brain because you guys are just in the center of this um, movement of, from your own companies and from Beyond Meat and then from Uh, Eat the Change Impact, and you can go to eatthechange.org and learn all about this and really take a deep dive into everything that uh, Seth and Julie are doing and how to get involved and how to apply if if it's applicable to what you're doing. But um, we we are at this point of climate crisis. The IPCC report came out, and if you really studied it, and we did an article about this on Jane Unchained. You can see that they do talk about methane, but it got lost. It was not reported properly. And advertiser-based media is not covering the story. I mean, there were a couple of exceptions. The Guardian did a great article, and there were a few um, smaller publications. But we, we have to do an end run around the mainstream media because the mainstream media Look at the advertisers, meat, dairy, and pharmaceuticals. So they just sort of avoid this subject. 
And um, even some of the environmental groups focus almost exclusively on carbon. Uh, where, not to get too controversial, uh, but uh, or to put you on the spot, but a lot of these environmental groups, I mean, when you have the Met Gala uh, going vegan, 11 Madison Park, some of the biggest award ceremonies in Hollywood going vegan, how can an environmental or conservation group or any group that purports to care about uh, people, animals, the planet, uh, have a gala that that uh, serves animals or 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 refuse to discuss this issue and put it out there and have a public policy that says we're plant based? It's a, you're highlighting it's a it's a huge contradiction that's been out there and i really do feel like um, people are finally coming around to it we've been to uh just just before the pandemic started we went to a bunch of different events and they were and a lot of them were entirely plant-based so but it takes that just like you said like billy eilish it takes someone at a leadership level there to say hey wait a minute you know even and of course the met gala there's nothing in the mets charter that says we have this environmental commitment it was a leader there who said I want to do this. And so that is a case where a leader, and, and certainly Julie and I have made that commitment, we're involved in a lot of different nonprofits and anything we're going to be part of, we're saying, well, it's got to be plant-based. It doesn't matter if it's not, um, you know, in its charter to be environmentally focused. If, it, if we want to be supporting it, we're going to want it to be, have that, at least have that an option uh, right. where it's plant-based. Right, right. I was going to add to that because I, I've just been um, uh, elected to be what is a secretary of the board of the Maryland um, Restaurant Association because of the work that I'm doing in Maryland and because of Land of Kush and because of, you know, the vegan uh, restaurant week and things like that and focusing on small businesses and what bi- small businesses need. So you just got to have that seat at the table to make somewhat of an influence. No, they may not have all these events that are just going to be 100 percent plant based, but if we can have a section. You know, and to make sure that that's bland pace, that that that'll be awesome. You know, just someone vocal there to to mention that, like, hey, you know, what about this? Times are changing. Um, I wanted to ask um, Seth and Julie a question about, you know, being as a nonprofit. I want to be like you when I grow up. You know, I got the restaurant and we got the nonprofit. We got these initiatives, Um, the philanthropy part of it. Now, you know, we, we do some of it, definitely definitely not on the million dollar scale that you can do it, but how does an organization grow to that? Because at that's, some point, that's, that's what we, we want to be. We have one minute, so I want to give them a chance. Think it's an excellent question. How does an organization grow to, 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 do, to play that role on the nonprofit side? I mean, you know, what I would say is we, we started from, you know, just looking at the things we cared about and, and initially, you know, what you can donate is food. And, you know, for you, that's something that comes to you very naturally. And so if there's a cause, you say, hey, we want to host an event at our restaurant for your organization and we'll give 10% of, the, of what we make that night to your organization. You know, that's a way to, to already in your community be relevant and, of course, also support local organizations you care about. Uh, but it's a much easier gift for you to, to give something that you already have as an existing asset. But to them, it is charity. It is a way for, you know, for them to, to meaningfully uh, build community and, and uh, you know, of course, get resources too. Well, we Thank are unfortunately much. out of time. Uh, I just want to say, wow, how exciting. <laughs> I, I've been so thrilled to, to speak with you. The more I read about what you're doing, it's truly overwhelming. Um, just on the private sector side and then the philanthropy side, you are changing the world. Uh, Seth and Julie, Eat the Change, Eat the Change Impact. You can go to eatthechange.org. 
Um, I just want to thank you. I know you're extremely busy people. Thank you for taking this hour to bring us up to date on your extraordinary work. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.